Let's pray. Lord, inspire me to read your scriptures and to meditate upon them day and night. I ask that the words of scripture may also be not just signs on a page, but channels of grace into my heart. Amen. Matthew 6, 5-15 And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray together. God, these are our words to you. God, we have some rejoicing in our hearts, God, because you're awesome. And God, I just want to say this morning that we gather in the name of Jesus Christ. No matter what's gone on in our lives this week, God, and some of us have had tough weeks. God, others others have had weeks that uh, comparatively have, have been okay, God. But no matter what, if it's been a tough week or just an average week, or even a great week, God, we gather today in the name of Jesus to say that we love you and that you are awesome. God, we need you. God, there are people here who have, um, have no real faith in you. God, there are people here who have not yet connected with the truth that through Christ you're doing a new thing. And I pray, God, that this morning that you'd open their eyes. God, as we open your word, I pray that the words of these pages would become like balm to the dry, cracked parts of our hearts. They become like water to the thirsty parts of our soul. And God, I just want to say I love you, and I love these people so much. God, I, I wept tears for them this week just, just thinking about how much I love them, God, and I do. And I pray, God, that you do something special in this next few moments as we open your word together. We love you, and I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Grab a Bible if you have one. Open it up to the book of Matthew chapter 6 is where we're going to be today. I tell you what, you guys look beautiful this morning. I hope you're doing okay. Uh, the singing was incredible. I came up on the side and just hearing your voices, I got chills. And, um, 
And uh, it's just really cool to be with you all. I know that we have a number of guests this morning, quite a few actually, and so I want to say welcome to you. My name is Russell. I am the lead pastor of Neartown Church. This is the 190th time we've gathered in this way. So since we began, there's been 190 weeks have passed. And so uh, I kind of feel like that, 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 uh, that number seems high, but if you think about it, that's not very long. So we're a very new church, a young church, and uh, our, our real desire is to be a part of what God wants to do in the city, in, specifically in the neighborhoods in and around downtown. And so our vision includes being a part of the larger work of church planting, church starting uh, in the neighborhoods in and around downtown. And so that's just one piece of of kind of what we do, but I am glad that you're here. And uh, are you glad that you're here? Yeah. All right. Uh, well, I hope you have your Bible open. And today I'm going to start a new series. And uh, this is a title unlike any title of a series you've ever seen. I promise you that. So the title of this series is World Changing, City Transforming, Neighborhood Restoring, Life Giving Prayers. And so we had a little bit of an email exchange with the team this week creatively. And I said, guys, I'm, I'm preaching on prayer and uh, I need a good title. And so they came back with all kinds of titles that were not good at all. And, uh, and so I said, we need a title that arrests people's attention. Because if I just say we're talking about prayer, you go, yeah, I got a prayer. I mean, you know, like 96% of the people uh, in the United States admit to praying at some point in the last year. So most people are like, yeah, prayer, I get it. It's talking to a higher power, you know, blah, blah, blah. But what I want you to understand is that the Bible has prayers in it that are world-changing, city-transforming, neighborhood-restoring, life-giving kinds of prayers. And so what I want to do in the next few weeks is take a few of these prayers that feel like really good examples of how we ought to be praying to God. And uh, just look at them, study them, think about them, and then hopefully try to draw some application from them in a way that can help you in your own prayer life, all right? So that's what we're going to do for the next few weeks. Last week, I did talk about prayer as it relates to why we pray in the worship service, and I said to to you this, we pray each week because there are some things that we cannot accomplish without some outside supernatural power working to do what we cannot do in our own strength. So this is why we pray, because we admit, hey, we cannot do all the things that we want to do in this world. And if there's nothing in this world that you want to do that you can't do in your own strength, then I'm telling you this, you're not living. You're not living the kind of life that God has created for you. God wants you to be a part of something that requires you to trust and rely on him. And so the kind of lives that we want to live are the kind of lives that require us to go, God, The only way that this bill is going to get paid or the only way that this person is going to change, the only way that the neighborhood is going to look different, the only way that injustice is going to be eradicated is if you do something that we cannot do in our own strength. So for the next few weeks, we'll be talking about prayer. I'm just going to take big prayers from the Bible. Today is going to be the Lord's Prayer. It's a very familiar prayer to most of you. And then next week, actually, I'm going to take some prayers. Next few weeks, I'm going to take some prayers out of the Old Testament that feel big, and you might not know much about them, but it's going to be a lot of fun. So the reason that we look in the Bible at specific prayers to learn how to pray is because it's helpful sometimes when we're trying to learn something new and a new behavior to observe how other people do it, right? So uh, I enjoy in my free time to do triathlon, and I've only been doing triathlon now. This is the fourth season that I have uh, been doing triathlon for fun, which I know some of you are like, triathlon fun, that doesn't make sense, but I do enjoy it. And uh, so when I first...
started learning, uh, thinking, well, actually, this is prior to even knowing I was going to be a part of triathlon. I actually was fat, and I needed to lose weight, and my knees and ankles hurt. And so I'm like, how do you get in shape? I needed to swim, right? And so, so I, uh, I thought, well, I'm going to go swim. So I went to the pool, and I didn't really know. I mean, I have as a kid, I know how to swim. I mean, you know, don't go there. I know how to swim a little bit, but, but it's not like the kind of swimming that gets you from one side of the pool to the, the other repeatedly. And uh, so the first time I went to the pool, 24-hour fitness, I go in there, I have my board shorts on, and I'm like, all right, take my shirt off, as embarrassing as that was. And I get in the pool, and I start to try to swim, and I get about halfway, I get out of the pool, go to the locker room, and go home. I did not know how to swim. I mean, I thought I did. I mean, I could tread water, but I didn't know how to get from one side to the other, and I was terribly out of shape. So I began this journey, this process, this, I became a student of swimming. How did I do it? I went online, and I found this video of this animated figure called Mr. Smooth. Is that right? Mr. Smooth. Some of y'all know what I'm talking about. Mr. Smooth is uh, uh, this, this, um, some, I know some of you are on your phones right now, like Mr. Smooth, that sounds like a website I shouldn't go to. Um, but it's a swimming guy. It, it, so anyway, so, so it, it shows you technique, and you can look at this guy from all different angles. You can look at him from the top, from the side, from the bottom. You can, you can see your leg you're supposed to go and your arms. So I really started studying how this guy was swimming. Now, was I Mr. Smooth? Absolutely not. And it took literally three years for me to really where I could swim in a way that I knew I was not going to drown, and I could swim for quite a while. In the same way, we're going to study the smoothest, this is dumb, the smoothest prayers of the Bible so that we can learn how to pray. We need help in how to pray, and so today we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer. Now, actually, it's called the Lord's Prayer, but just from the beginning, you ought to know, it actually should be titled the Disciples' Prayer, uh, because what Jesus is doing here is he's teaching his disciples how to pray. It's a part of this section where he's actually uh, exposing a little bit of the insincere religion of the majority of the people. And so he is saying to them, hey guys, there are some in your midst that are really about impressing people. Verse 5 says, when you pray, you must not look like the hypocrites. There were a group of people that were all about reciting these really epic prayers so that Everybody would be impressed at how religious and how spiritual they are. Verse 7, Jesus says, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, the irreligious people do. And oftentimes in their prayers, they would would actually be speaking to one another because they're trying to impress one another with their skills of, uh, of praying. Jesus is saying, don't be like that because prayer is not about looking spiritual or impressing people. In fact, Jesus is implying that if your prayer life is really something that you're focused on trying to impress other people, then them being impressed is the best you're going to get. But if you want the kind of prayers that God hears and responds to, then pray like this. Everybody say, pray like this. this. Our Father is what he says. This is how we're to start the prayer. It it communicates a close relationship with God. It's a familial kind of relationship. You you may have heard in the past of the name of God, 
Abba, or calling God Abba. It's a closeness there. So, so Jesus says, when you approach God in prayer, you approach him like someone that you can approach confidently. When my children come to me and say, <laughs> they don't ever call me father, but if they ever come to me and say, say, daddy, Daddy, you know, I'm going to listen to them because I care for them and I love them. Although I, now that I think about it, I want them to start addressing me as father. Yeah, yeah it sounds very, very father. And uh, so anyway, so, so, there's, there, so he says, our father who art in heaven. So there's really two big parts to the Lord's prayer. There's a part about God's greatness and then there's this part about our lives. So there's three f- phrases in each part. And I point that out because I think that's how it's laid out so that we would get them at like points, okay? So the first phrase of the first part about God's greatness is hallowed be your name. Raise your hand if you've used the word hallowed this week. You have not. And so it's a strange word. What does it mean? Well, it means let your name be called holy. So in the original Greek um, writing, it's hard sometimes to bring it into the English, but, but what it means is um, it gives us the sense of like a possibility, like, but it's a, it's a strong request. Like we begin our prayer by saying, God, let your name be called holy. Let the, your holiness be shown in and around us. Hallowed be your name. Let your name be called holy. And so that's the first part. Second part, your kingdom come. Now, when Jesus came, he came preaching the message of the kingdom. It's kind of a mysterious topic, this topic, the kingdom of God as described in the Bible. When John the Baptist, who prepared the way for Jesus to come, preached, he would, repeat, he would preach these words, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, or the kingdom of God has come. What is the kingdom of God? Because Jesus is saying, hey, the second thing you ought to pray is your kingdom come. Well, the kingdom, and mind you, this could be a whole series in itself, just talking about the kingdom of God. The kingdom is the establishment of God's work in the world in a new way. The kingdom of God is the place in our world where God is restoring things to himself, where there's rightness that was not there before. So the kingdom of God is the place that God is working in the world in a new way through Jesus Christ. The local church is, so if you took all the churches in the world and you put them together, there would be something beyond that, outside of that, where God is working. That's not the local church. But the local church is the primary institution within the work of the kingdom of God in the world. So Jesus is saying, God, what we ought to be praying is let the work of God, the presence of God, have its way in our world. Interesting. I want you to note something here from the beginning. We're going to see it later. Do you know that when Jesus is teaching us how to pray, he does not first focus on the individual. I don't know about you, but when I pray, my first inclination goes, oh God, I got a bill coming up. Or, oh God, my kids, you know, this and that. Or, oh God, my wife would just listen to me. (laughs) You know, oh, you know, that's our inclination is to focus on ourselves. Interesting, isn't it, as we're learning how to be people of prayer? Maybe for some of you, you've got a very small understanding of who God is, and this is teaching you a little bit about who God is. God is awesome. 
When we come to God in prayer, what we ought to do is just come first and go, God, you are great. Let your name be shown as holy. When we pray for our neighborhood, what we are, God, what we really care about is that people understand that you are an awesome, awesome God. And God, I pray that you would have your way in our homes, in our neighborhood, in our city, and in our world. It's interesting how the focus is first and foremost on God. This teaches us something about prayer. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done. This idea of God's will, God's will is to restore things to himself. God's will is to make right all that's been broken by sin. Some of it he'll make right by restoring it through Jesus Christ. Some of it he'll make right by judging it. God has a will and a purpose. And as we learn about praying, Jesus is teaching us here how to pray and how to even relate to God Almighty. What we're saying is, God, I just pray that your will would be done. Can you admit for a moment that you have a very limited view of who God is? And maybe you're here and you're not really into God or you have a very small faith or you've come back recently to the church. And maybe the most courageous prayer that you could pray for your own life would be, God, I pray that your will be done. Let your will take place in my life, in the life around me. So two big ideas here I want you to see before we move into the second part. The first one is this. Do you know that the essence of prayer is worship? This is our mindset in prayer. It's worship. We acknowledge that God is awesome and he is great. If you have a small view of God, then your understanding of how big of prayers God can answer will be very small. Do you get that? If your view of God is small, then why in the world would you think that God could actually accomplish something that you can't accomplish on your own? Our prayers, the essence of them is worship. We're coming to God as an act of worship, of praise. I mean, he is holy and we want people to know that he is holy, right? Uh, he is, his kingdom is good and his work to establish his reign and rule among people on our earth is good and we want people to know that. His will is right and true and we, we want God to know that we submit to his will. So when we begin to pray, uh, we should know that the essence of prayer is worship. Also, uh, about this first section related to the greatness of God in prayer. Jesus does something here, and it blows our mind. Um, We should know and recognize that the way in which we pray impact what should exist. And that's a little tricky to think about, but our prayers actually have an impact. It's mysterious. I believe in the sovereignty of God. God is going to do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. But for whatever reason, he has invited humanity into it, to working. And so when you think about praying to God, an awesome God, a great God, a holy God, a God who's establishing his kingdom, a God whose will is good and true and right, you should know that your prayers matter. They count. How? I don't know. But they do. Because the way in which this is written in the original language, it's saying, let your name be called holy. Let your kingdom come. Uh, Let let 
uh, your will be done, there's a sense in which it's a mood of possibility. And so it's a sense in which you're saying, God, I, I recognize that I have a place in my request is taken very seriously to you. And so I realize that I want these things to happen and in some mysterious way, you use my prayers to transact what you want to do in the world. Now, does everything that happened in the world happen because somebody prayed for him? No. But in some mysterious way, our prayers actually impact God. They move him to act. Isn't that awesome? Some of you are right now have on your heart and your mind some kind of big problem. Some big thing you, you notice happening in the world. You see places in our world, and it's happening all over our world. In some ways, uh, we see things happening in our world right now that are not only scary for those that live there, but they bring some fear to the homeland, right? I want you to know you praying about those things in the establishment of the rule and reign of God in those places counts. It matters. So get off Fox News, get off CNN. Quit worrying about it, reading about it, and get on your knees and pray about it. So our prayers actually impact what should exist. You know, um, let let me tease this out a little bit more. There's something that happens in our city that is clearly a sign that the kingdom of God is not fully established in our city. Um, There's hunger in our city, Right? There's hunger in our neighborhood. There's hunger in our church. So what is is that there's hunger. What should be is that people get fed. So what's our mood? What do we do about it? Well, well, we, we pray. We begin by praying. Because we believe that prayer works. It's actually going to affect these things. Something else in our city that exists that's very serious we ought to be praying about is um, this issue of human trafficking. Um, Houston is one of the major cities in the United States where human beings are trafficked for sex. This is a major issue. What should be is that slavery of all kinds is eradicated, but what is is that modern slavery Modern-day slavery exists, so what do we do? Well, we ought to pray about it, believing that God is going to do something about it. That's where it begins, and certainly we want to get involved in other ways. So we acknowledge in prayer, according to Jesus, the greatness of God. But we also are given permission by Jesus to pray about our daily lives. It's interesting, the last three uh, sentences there of the Lord's Prayer. They're really about our daily needs. Raise your hand if you have a, just a daily need, just a simple daily need. I'm not just talking about money for food. But I'm talking about like something, something that's pressing on your mind right now. I mean, some of you are like, man, Texans, that's my need. I need a victory for the Texans. We have several people from our church serving as missionaries over there already this morning. And um, we'll be praying and sending a few more uh, with the blessing. Uh, but, but so all of us have needs, Every single day we wake up with needs. C.S. Lewis said these words. The moment you wake up each morning, all your wishes and needs for the day rush at you like wild animals. And the first job each morning consists in shoving it all back and listening to the other voice, the voice of God, taking that other point of view, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter voice come flowing in. So all of us have daily needs, 
And it begins with acknowledging the greatness and the presence of God. But we do have daily needs. Jesus says we can pray like this about our daily needs. Give us this day our daily bread. When the Israelites were, after they were enslaved to the Egyptians, they were led out by Moses, they wandered in the wilderness. God provided for them a daily provision of food. And so when those very first Jews would have heard Jesus say, give us this day our daily bread, they would have thought about the time that their ancestors wandered and how God provided a daily provision of manna for them. But we, in 2014, have daily needs. The Proverbs 30, verse 8, is a prayer maybe we could memorize. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me. All of us have daily needs. But do you know you can take those daily needs to God in prayer? God cares about those. So there's a sense in which our prayers are all about the awesomeness of God and what God wants to do in the world. But equally so, there's a sense in which we can just take to God our very simple daily needs, our requirements of the day. So we can pray, give us this day, our daily bread, believing that God hears those. We also pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. So something that you should know about sin is that it indebts us to God. In fact, when somebody becomes a Christian, what they're basically saying is, I recognize that I cannot pay the debt I owe God, uh, and so I, I rely on, I trust in Jesus who paid a debt I could not pay for myself. That's the good news of the Bible is that someone paid the debt for you. His name is Jesus. We believe that when he died on the cross, he paid a penalty for sin. And when he was raised from the dead, he has conquered sin and gives a guarantee and a hope for new life. But when we approach God in prayer, there's a spiritual practice of having a contrite heart. We regularly go, God, I, I ask you for your forgiveness. I've not lived in a way that I ought to live. And all of us have those. Every one of us sins continually even after we come to Christ. So we pray to God. God, forgive us our debts. And uh, as we have forgiven our debtors, you know, people that are around us. Lead us not into temptation, Jesus says. We can pray this. This is a moral prayer of morality. Now, the Bible says, James 1.8 says that God does not tempt us. But in a sense, God allows us to be tempted. Did you know that? Why? It's kind of like a test. Now, the Bible also says that you'll never be tested beyond what you can handle as, as it relates to sin. But the prayer that Jesus gives us here is, is very much like, God, please keep me from temptation. Keep me from the places that I will fail morally. I mean, that's pressing, right? When you get on the internet, pray, God, help me to stay away from the things I should not be looking at. God, help me to, to be guarded against the relationships that could lead me down the wrong path. God, when I open my checking account or I open my wallet, please help me to, to not sin against you by spending more money than I make. Lead us not in temptation. This is just daily stuff. God, when I talk to my spouse, please help me to, to be slow to speak and quick to listen. When I'm with my neighbor, God, please help me to, to not 
allow their lifestyle to influence my lifestyle negatively. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Lead us not into temptation. Do you know, in summary of these, that uh, a prayer is an acknowledgement that God meets our daily needs? All of you raised your hands just a moment ago when I said, who has daily needs? Prayer is an acknowledgement that God meets our daily needs. Jesus is giving you permission to pray about your daily needs. Write them out, list them out so you can remember them, so you can keep up with them. One thing that I've done over the years is I'll write out prayer requests and I'll keep those. And then over time, I'll be able to go back and see how God has provided for those. There was a period of time about uh, two years ago, maybe a year ago, where I didn't have a car. And I, I just prayed and said, God, I just, I don't want, you know, I need a car. And somebody gave me, a, it was a beater, but it was a car. And I believe God answered that prayer. Those of you that were driving uh, Mercedes and Lexus at the time, I was praying that you'd give me your car, but you didn't. That's okay. God will forgive you. No. Uh, but, uh, you know, so God provided. It was, a, it was a daily need. I had a daily need to get to work. And so do you. What are your daily needs? Write them down and then ask God to grant you that prayer, to give you the desire of your heart in that prayer. God will meet daily needs. Matthew chapter 6, just a little bit later, verse 25, Jesus is telling a group of people who clearly are worrying about their daily needs being met. He says, I tell you not to worry about your everyday life. Elise reminded me this week that worry, uh, she reminded me of an illustration, a worry is like being in a rocking chair. You're moving but not going anywhere. Jesus here is talking about worry. He said, I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food or drink or enough clothes to wear. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Jesus said, don't worry. You can pray for your daily needs and God will provide. If I'm you and I'm sitting there, especially if I'm new to the church or I know a lot about the city, I would ask this question. If it is true that in our prayers we can ask God to meet our daily needs and God will meet those daily needs, why is it that there are hungry people all around us? This is a little bit of a caveat, but it's important. You ever thought about that? If it is true that Jesus is telling people, go to God and say to God, God, give us our daily bread. And God will answer that prayer. And we're not to worry about our daily bread. Why is it that there are people in our city that are hungry? Why is it that there are people in our world that will die today of hunger? Why is that? The places where there is hunger that's not being met, as an example, that daily need are evidence that the work of the gospel is not done yet. In our city, the places where there are hungry people and there are daily needs not being met is evidence that the work of the church is not complete. We believe it's our responsibility to be a part of eradicating hunger in our city, as an example. We believe that. And we can't do everything, but we can do something. So you say, well, how are we doing that as a church? Well, we are involved with a large group of churches that do all kinds of work in the city. But one of the things that we do specifically as a community of faith to, to help people experience this answered prayer of just a daily need being met is we have a benevolence kind of work. 
So if somebody in our church has a need for food, for instance, or help with a bill, then they can ask our church, and our church will, if God has provided the resources, help them. That's significant. Now, if you're here and you have needs for food or for your utility bill to be paid for, or you have some sort of need that you feel like is like, I need this to survive, then don't go to anybody else in the church. Come to the leadership of the church, and we will help distribute to you the resources that is given by the community of faith. And this is an affirmation of all those of you that are regularly giving, because we have many of you are regularly giving, because it allows us as a church to be radically generous, which is one of our four four state of values, radical generosity. We as a church are able to be radically generous to people with needs. And what happens is not only are their bellies fed with food, but people get to understand that, yes, God does answer that simple prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Do y'all understand that? So a couple of things. If you have a need, come to us. We want to help you. If God has provided it, we will help you. If you know of somebody that has a need or if somebody comes to you that has a need, send them to us and we will help them. For all of us, we ought to be giving regularly to the work of this church because what it allows us to do is to help people with needs. It allows us to get a part, become a part of what God wants to do to establish his kingdom, to eradicate hunger in the little places that we can. Now, there will always be the hungry among us until Jesus returns finally and fully. But our mission as a church is to be a part of of participating in God establishing the kingdom in that way. So when people pray, God, meet us our daily needs that we can get to be a part of it. Not only do we do this in the city, but we do this in the world. We are involved in Africa in places where people literally have one meal, uh, maybe two meals a week. And so we participate and support missionaries there who are helping that also through our work with Compassion International. We're involved in Ecuador. And so there are lots of ways in which we as a church, you as a community of faith, are involved in helping people experience the answer of this prayer. You get that? Okay. Couple more points. Um, do you know that the mundane daily struggle it uh, it can keep us from seeing the greatness of God? Do you ever feel like that? I went on Friday night with um, my third child, second son. To a place I like to go to in South Texas. I love being outdoors. I love, you know, guns and being in the woods and, and being on trails and blazing new trails. I love that. I mean, ironically, I love the city, but I, I love that. find that to be very refreshing. So about a month ago, my son Price, who I knew was going to have a t- hard time starting school, I said, if you go to school two weeks really, really well, I will take you to South Texas, just me and you. And he's kind of like the middle child. So if any of you are middle child, you know you've been neglected. So he's certainly been neglected. And, uh, and, and so I took him. So we had an awesome time. But it's interesting while we're out there, because I'm trying to teach him how to observe what's happening in the woods, right? And what tends to happen when you're in the woods, if you're looking for animals to, um, to catch as pets and take home and to support, um, you, you, 
you, you tend to look in one spot, right? If you're new to hunting, you tend to look in one spot. Like, I'm going to look at one spot and see if an animal comes over here. But what I was teaching him is that you have to be willing to, with your mind and your eyes, kind of see the landscape and take a step back. Because if you get focused on one spot, you will drive yourself crazy. Because the chances of anything crossing that one spot uh, is very slim. But the likelihood that some will cross the whole landscape is very good. In the same way, when we think about all the, 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 the things in our life, if we focus on that one thing and we're just waiting it for it to change, oh man, I, this one area, we just focus, 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 then what, what we lose is a sense of the landscape of all that God is doing all around us. Some of you are there. I mean, you've been carrying something that feels so heavy for so long. And what tends to happen is that you get so focused on that that you might miss seeing the greatness of God all around you. That injury might require your focus and attention, but maybe God is going to use that injury to do something larger that need financially. I mean, you're focused on that need, but maybe God is, has you there because there are other people watching how you're going to respond to God in the midst of that need. Maybe the reason God hasn't moved you out of that neighborhood is because he wants to do something greater in that neighborhood that requires you to live there. What is that mundane daily struggle that you're tending to focus on and maybe spend the majority of your time praying about that can keep you from seeing the greatness of God. May we be the kind of people that attack our daily needs, not by focusing on them, but by focusing on the greatness of God. May we be the kind of people that can genuinely say, God, my heart's desire is this. Let your name be shown as holy in my family. Let your name be shown as holy in my workplace. Let your name be shown as holy in my neighborhood and in my city. Let your name be shown as holy. God, let your kingdom come. Let's pray together. Everybody bow your heads. God, let your kingdom come. I pray that the places in our city where there's brokenness, that you would establish your presence. You would involve us as a community of faith to bring justice where there's injustice, to bring food where there's hunger, to bring education where there's a lack of education. I pray, God, that our heart be in prayer would would, would, would just pound with a passion for your greatness. God, I pray that your will would be done in this church. God, I pray that the little bit of faith, a tiny seed of faith that exists in a few of the people in here would grow exponentially, God. And that that faith would begin to consume them and begin to drive them and compel them to live the kind of lives that honor you and that get involved in what you want to do to establish your kingdom in the neighborhood. God, may our prayers be about something larger than just our daily needs. God, we all have daily needs and those are important to you, I know. But I pray that our, our prayers would become about something larger 
the kind of life that is participating in your great work in our city and in our world. God, we need you. God, I need you today to teach us as a community of faith how to pray. God, if the disciples, the very people who walked with Jesus had a hard time understanding how to pray, then God, certainly we do. We need you to teach us how to pray and to be the kind of people that are disciplined in prayer.